0: Welcome to the UFSA podcast. I'm Michael Stringer, and I'll be your host for today's episode. I sat down with UBC MFA candidate Jason Carmen to talk about something that film students find themselves involved often with, short films. Talked about how to fund them, where to send them, and everything in between. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, So yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what drew you to start uh, making films and what you're most interested about filmmaking?
1: First of all, thanks for having me here, Michael. I started filmmaking, I think, back in 1996. Uh, it was um, in response to a Canadian film that I saw called Lilies by John Grayson. It's a feature-length uh, film, and um, it was unlike any other film I've seen in the sense that it, uh, it was a story about these two young um, uh, teenagers who uh, grew up in... Uh, rural Quebec, and uh, uh, there was a crime that 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 happened, and uh, someone else was blamed for it. Um, but the most interesting thing about this the film is that it was a it was a gay love story, told in the present, um, a, uh, between uh, inmates in a prison, and it was acted out by these inmates in drag, and uh, it was done so um, in front of one of the people that they believe um, uh, knew the, the, the real story. And just the way it was executed was um, enlightening for me. It was inspiring and it was also uh, an LGBT story at the time. So it spoke to me um, as someone who was um, coming to terms with my own sexuality. Uh, so I wanted to know more, and that's where I embarked on this this path. Um, I was studying something else at the time, so uh, I'd like to try to finish uh, what I started, uh, and in this case, it was a Bachelor of Science in Geology. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's how uh, I started filmmaking. Um, I gave geology uh, a chance three years, <laughs> and, uh, and then I... Uh, Quickly realized that I was uh, interested in working with people versus rocks. I was still interested in stories,
0: but um, but it was the stories of people that that, that really resonated with me. So, and was it, uh, the fact that it was a Canadian film uh, particularly important to you, or more the content matter? Because you you mentioned it was a Canadian film, and I actually I vaguely familiar with Lilies. I just I have the poster in my mind, but that's pretty much all I know about it, and I know it as a Canadian film um are you interested in um canadian stories specifically or is that not a huge
1: at the time no um it was more about the genre uh it was about the Mm. the topic that interested me more um because of of my place at the time uh so it was that that was an added bonus that it was a canadian film Mm. um there was also another uh film called beautiful thing um which was a British coming-of-age film that um, spoke to me at the time. Um, both were very powerful.
0: Currently you've made um, many, many short films. <laughs> We've gone over your, uh, your filmography a little bit to start here. So what I'm interested in knowing uh, with that is what has changed in your filmmaking style since you began and what stayed the same? I've Noticed any differences and similarities there?
1: This is an interesting question. It's two parts. In the first part, I actually had some difficulty in trying to answer. Um, I could tell you what stayed the same, and that's my commitment to the truth. I found it more meaningful to tell the truth, uh, to um, be authentic, than to try to um, hide that in some way. And maybe that's part of who I am as a as a person. I moved from documentaries to scripted fictional material because I've just found that you could get closer to the truth with fiction with, because you, you have a chance to plan it out carefully mm. um, you you can um, really aim for the message of the story versus in documentary you're finding the story in the editing room you're real. You're, you're often at the mercy of whatever is happening around you when you're filming mm. right so sometimes um, you're, you're not able to, tell the message that you want in a very impactful and meaningful way because things happen that's beyond your control and then you're, you're trying to find that in editing room so that's um, that's something that has stayed the same um, with me through uh, throughout all this time. In terms of what has changed um, I think I, I've I'm embracing more um, the Hollywood aesthetic um, because uh, our attention spans are getting shorter and stu- shorter. Um, I'm finding that um, my my edits, my cuts are are, are faster. As a result, I um, I'm getting more and more impatient um, with um, with some of my shots. It doesn't mean that um, I'm going to be doing music videos uh, <laughs> tomorrow. It just means that I'm I'm definitely more aware and I'm more selective in what uh, what I want to draw out and um, and in the other other scenes, other takes, I'll just um, cut uh, completely or yeah, I'll just abbreviate. So. Mm.
0: so I was interested in what you uh, have learned through uh, making films for uh, many years, almost over a decade now. Uh, what are some of the experiences that you've learned through the kind of tactile uh, process? Um,
1: so the, the, most, um, the most important thing that I've learned uh, about filmmaking through the past decade is uh, know what you want, but be open and flexible in how to get there. Um, because technology is constantly changing, right? You have to be open to um, whatever is available to you in order to tell your story. Uh, so that means that Embracing cell phones as a way to um, tell a story, and also at the same time being curious uh, to look back at the past, uh, understand why why celluloid worked. Um, you know what the uh, aesthetic qualities of the medium um, were. Um, I say I say these things in the past tense because for independent filmmakers, it's become quite um, unaffordable to shoot yes. on celluloid. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not impossible. You could still do it, right? And it's probably going to um, add another three thousand dollars in your post budget. But um, if you're going to go down that path, understanding um, why, uh, you know, understanding what um, what that medium uh, brings to your uh, image, I think is, is really important. So basically, just uh, being open to everything and understanding the qualities
0: of of uh, what's available to you. Have you ever shot on film specifically or has it been all digital? I have
1: had to I've had the um, privilege of shooting on 35 millimeter a couple of times uh, it was actually uh, through a couple of awards that I, I won um, I, I had a choice of either a red camera or sh- a 35 millimeter short mm-hmm. ends and so I chose the harder of the two paths <laughs> um, and uh, it was just a, a rare opportunity to Uh, to work with the medium. So um, I made two films on 35. Uh, One uh, was in 2010 called I'm in a Mood for Love Uh, and then the other one is a family drama um, called Kimchi Fried Dumplings uh, which is a a story about a son coming home for uh, for Christmas after he's been absent for a number of years. Um, I chose film because it had an ephemeral quality and uh, it was timeless and the story took place during Christmas and I wanted the film to be timeless, something that you can um, watch over and over again just like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, for example (laughs) um, uh, and 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 reconnect with all the characters um, regularly. I'm really proud of these two projects because every time I show it um, People will ask, "What is it about that image? What is it about the film that they are drawn to?" And they don't realize that part of that equation is actually the, uh, the, celluloid, the, the celluloid, right? So the the graininess um, gives this uh, vulnerability to the image, um, and it just it's uh, it it it's a quality that invites you in.
0: So did you find working with film on those two uh, projects? Did it change anything about how you were uh, making the film? or did it make you more decisive? Like I mean, uh, I know that having a certain amount of film stock might uh, prevent you from taking lots of takes. At least that's uh, experience. I've heard from people who have worked uh, with film after having done a lot of digital. Uh, they feel a little bit more restricted that way. Did, were there any, uh, apart from the aesthetic qualities of the image, were there any practical differences in working with film? Um,
1: well, with shooting with film, you have a limited number of um, stock, uh, so you, you have to be very precise. Uh, and yeah, your shooting ratio is much lower. Uh, you know, it's I, I aim for about five to one. Um, Uh, which was very ambitious uh, at the time, um, given my skill level. But I I found that uh, by having these parameters, uh, you you can be more creative Mm. as a result, right? Um, And you can be more precise with your direction. Um, So I invested a lot of time in rehearsing. Um, Mm. I mean, Mood for Love was a musical, About a singing telegram that uh, sees his uh, ex-boyfriend and uh, realizes that it's uh, that that he's over him uh, and it's and it's it's finally time to move on uh, and it's done through song. Um, So in order to execute that, you know, you had to um, you you had to do a lot of pre-planning in advance. rehearsing, uh, so knowing the song, rehearsing, finding the tempo, right. Um, before you actually get the set, same thing with, um, with kimchi fried dumplings as well. So, um, uh, yeah, you just have to, you have to invest a lot of time in, in working with the actors. You can't just fly off the seat of your pants and, um, and, and hope that, uh, uh, it, it, it all works out. So, with that said, I found that um, these two films to be very... Um, I find the aesthetic to be very, like, limiting, or I'm just trying to find a mm. different word for it, but it, um, the energy was a bit low on these okay. two films as a, as a result of these parameters because mm. I was very precise with everything that... Um, there wasn't, a, there wasn't this element of spontaneity. So it's, right. yeah. It's, it's a balance. Yeah, it's a balance, yeah, okay. exactly.
0: And yeah, you just passed me over here one of the little cards for kimchi fried dumplings, which had a few uh, things, the NFB and Cineworks on it, which uh, was something I was curious about, uh, how you fund uh, your short films or what the process is uh, of getting funding for shorts specifically.
1: Uh, that's a great question um, especially today um, in order to realize um, these projects I've had to um, I've been the big the biggest advocate uh, of, of uh, my own projects and that means understanding um, the themes the rationale and and in, and in doing so I'm able to access arts council grants so the first step is, knowing what your story is about and then applying, um, to these different arts council grants. Now it's a, it's a laborious process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you're probably face with, um, some rejection because it is, um, it is uh, judged by your peers. Right. But that, that is the, um, that's the easiest way for any Canadian filmmaker to, um, make a film is to apply to the grants that's available to you uh, offered by the different mini- uh, levels of government. Um, they're there to support Canadian talent uh, and um, right now, you know, f- uh, female, indigenous uh, voices are encouraged, visible minorities are, f- visible minority stories are are also um, uh, encouraged as well. That's one way, uh, and then the other way is of course developing partnerships with um, with organizations with friends so that's what I've done for example with my thesis film I it started it started out with a with an artist grant from BC Arts Council and that triggered um, interest from other um, uh, other partners uh, such as uh, um, out TV for example right uh, they became interested because well I have some funding to make the film happen so mm-hmm. they uh, they don't have a lot of um, resources available, but their uh, their mandate is to promote LGBT stories. So they want to uh, they want to get to know you um, early on, right? There's also other ways. I mean, you can you can corral uh, a group of friends together and see if uh, there's a story that everybody can um, uh, everybody can agree on or is passionate about, mm-hmm. and then have them all contribute um, something towards it, and that's one way to realize a project. Um, I mean, uh, I, I, did a, I did a thriller call, uh, I Really Like You, and it started off uh, from a competition uh, through Cineworks. And by the way, like, competitions are a great uh, way to um, get projects off the ground, mm-hmm. right? It's, uh, it offers you a deadline, yeah. um, and that keeps things moving, so if you get a if you get into a competition you win a, um, uh, an award even if it's small you can use that to leverage with uh, with some of your other friends or um, organizations to see if they're willing to come on board and that's what happened with I really like you um, wanna um, I, I won um, support from this initiative where it was to take um, 10 lines of dialogue from a pre-existing Canadian film. This was um, Adam, Adam McGoin's The Sweet Hereafter and interpreted into something completely different. Um, so I've never, I, I, at the time I didn't, I've never seen um, The Sweet Hereafter. So I took that and I, um, I, I put it into a thriller. and um, And then I approached a couple of my friends who um, were interested in, one, one person wanted to know more about producing, so I said, hey, do you want to step up and, and be in this role? Um, other people had access to cameras, and they wanted to um, broaden their, their cinematography wheel, so, uh, and, and their aesthetic uh, matched the film, so I brought them on board. So that's how you can kind of put together um, a team
0: and realize a film. What uh, what part of <laughs> the sweet hereafter did you guys uh, get? Like, what were the lines? Like, what scene was it? Um, it was the
1: scene near the beginning where um, I can't remember the actress's name. It was at the amusement park, and the the girl and this guy they were just talking with each other after coming off of an amusement
0: ride, okay. I believe. Yeah. I think so. yeah. Um, Ferris
1: wheel. Yeah, Ferris wheel. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it was uh, the dialogue was something that you could insert in any pre-existing relationship right so um, there's actually uh, so there's a, there's a, an anthology of films there's two other films um, that were commissioned and you could see um, how the other directors use those um, 10 lines of dialogue mm-hmm. i think it's a great yeah. I, I think it's a great initiative to introduce mm-hmm. people to canadian cinema yeah, right, sure. you know, take something iconic and and uh, reimagine yeah, it. Yeah, play with it, run with it, see. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's interesting. Now that you were talking about uh, this short, I'm I'm interested to to see it, and uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about where it is that people are able to see these short films, and and how the film festival circuit works for shorts.
1: So, one of the biggest challenges for any short filmmaker is. Um, is to see how their work is received in a live environment. Because often you make films and, you, and it just lives online, right? And you, you get views, you get likes, um, but you don't get any sort of uh, meaningful critical feedback, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the key is to attend as, many, as much as possible uh, the screenings of your films and to know which ones um, are, are, um, are meaningful. So uh, I've I heard uh, one of the one of the best festivals for short films is the Clermont-Ferrand Short Film Festival in France. They're the largest uh, short film festival in the world. I had a chance to attend it uh, last February. And I think the program guide is 300 yeah, pages <laughs> of short films from across the world. And um, on average... The short film lengths are about twenty-five minutes, twenty-two minutes, twenty-two okay. to twenty-five minutes. So they're, they're
0: long shorts. Um, and do they get screened together with other shorts, or are they individually uh, shown?
1: They're screened with, uh, with other shorts okay. in, uh, in, in curated programs. Um, but what, what's interesting is that uh, when we make short films in North America, we've been kind of programmed to, that shorter is better anything under ten minutes is ideal because of these, um, uh, you know, um, competitive time slots, mm-hmm. right? But out in Europe, uh, they welcome longer shorts, and it's more about the story than about um, than about uh, length, mm-hmm. right? So uh, the longest short I saw was forty-five minutes, mm-hmm. for example, which is almost an hour. Um, my point is that. Uh, there's a pl- there's a home for uh for your short film somewhere in this world mm-hmm. and the key is how it is to find that um, that home and uh, one way is to seek out uh, at the largest short film festival like Clermont-Ferrand yeah. um, and and then attend and then see what they program um, and uh, if you're fortunate and, and your film is is programmed you can see how the audience reacts mm-hmm. to it as well so that's one thing I mean so in developing a film festival circuit I mean in developing a film festival strategy know what genre your film is know what topics your film touches on and then research what are the, the most prominent um, film festivals that uh, address the genre or the issues found in your film a good example is if you are an Asian American Film Festival. CAMFest, which is formerly the San Francisco Asian American Film Festival, uh, is is quite prominent, uh, as well as Los Angeles Asian Pacific American Film Festival. These two draw a lot of programmers and curators and enthusiasts uh, uh, to to their event, and they're looking, they're hungry for Mm -hmm. content. So if you can get in, attend um, and uh, make, make a connection, right? Um, because it's always easier to give um, your film to a programmer right there in person than, uh, than to... Email or... Exactly. personal, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's one example. Um, if you're into genre films like horror or sci-fi, then Fantasia um, is a good film festival. Uh, out in uh, Montreal, mm-hmm. um, if you're into documentaries, you know there's Docsa coming up, uh, and uh, and hot docs. So
0: Great. and uh, yeah, you see, you mentioned like building connections with uh, with curators and, and things like that. I'm also interested to hear a little bit how the distribution side of of things works with short films specifically. Um, once you get into the film festival, is that kind of the end of the the road for shorts or is there uh, room beyond that there's
1: definitely room um, beyond film festivals you can go to these bigger ones and there'll be distributors um, uh, running around uh, and and the key is to try to uh, get them interested in your short and you do that by creating um, cards or, or um, posters so- or even a trailer, for example, to get them engaged. To answer your question, yes, there's, uh, there's life after, uh, film festivals, and there's short film distributors, out there. There's also, um, there's also television networks out in Europe, for example, who, uh, are hungry for, short films to put at the end of, um, uh, their movies because the the time slots a bit tricky and they they need content to fill in the hour right Mm -hmm. and that's where um, that's where you could fit in you know unfortunately in order to get an audience with um, these television stations in Europe uh, you need to have a connection you need to have you need to build some sort of credibility and so by having a distributor already on your side Mm -hmm. or repping for you it helps um, expedite matters
0: And uh, yeah, just uh, wrapping up a little bit, I'm also, you've given tons of great advice, but uh, I more specifically wanted to ask if, what advice would you have for young filmmakers, or not even necessarily young filmmakers, but emerging filmmakers, people just getting started, Uh, what are some things, some little bits of advice that you would give uh, someone uh, just new to the industry?
1: Be patient and listen. I think are the two biggest things because we are in an age where uh, everything is instant, um, and expectation is that uh, that uh, something will happen right away. Uh, it takes time to, um, to to develop your voice, to have a career in this, uh, and and yeah, you uh, you need to. Um, you need to think outside of what's available to you digitally um, in order to move ahead. So sometimes also um, you can find inspiration um, through the oddest of places like if you go to a film festival, you meet interesting people, sometimes you find yourself in in Spaces where you've never imagined, and that just—it's—it's a—it's a wonderful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can somehow uh, attend and, and and get into that space, um, you, you 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 can create some wonderful um, stories out of that.
0: Uh, finally, just do you have any uh, future projects that you're planning right now, or anything in the works, even just in your mind? <laughs>
1: I have a lot of projects on the go. Uh, one of them is a feature length of *Lions and Waiting, which is uh, my thesis film at UBC. And it's about an Asian hockey player who comes out uh, after being a haste And I'm exploring uh, masculinity within a competitive uh, environment and how that's performed in, in this space. Hard work beats talent, when talent
0: doesn't work hard. Hey! Boys, you keep playing like this, we're in the playoffs. Cheers!
1: Cheers! Cheers!
0: Ray, you all right? You want to sit this one out? I can do it, coach. Okay. All right, boys, remember their four check.
1: I've never done a feature-length film, and being at UBC has given me the confidence uh, to, to finally go down this road
0: yeah i'm always interested in how uh people expand shorts into into features and and what parts get uh extended and what gets left out and and how that uh, sort of practically an an adaptation process goes so great to see that turn into a feature Um, but thank you very much for joining us today it's been a very robust conversation Uh, and uh you know thanks michael Today's episode was produced by Diraj Warren and Michael Stringer. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to keep up to date with future episodes. And like Us on Facebook for events and more content.